look at God's pattern and a pattern of peace. We're going to look at the system of worship and what's presented and how God instructed Moses and Israel to construct the tabernacle. That's what we're reading about this week. How to build the Ark of the Covenant. What's the purpose of it? What Aaron and his sons were to do as they are consecrated and set apart as priests. What we're seeing here is the beginning of what is called the sacrificial system. It is a system of worship. That's usually how it's described. You need priests, the temple, and sacrifices to make up this system. You can read a little bit about that, and Peter gives a good summary of it. And 1 Peter 2 and verse 5, where the church is the temple, we are the priests, and our good deeds are sacrifices and offerings to God. Tonight we look at the subject of the pattern that's emphasized. It is emphasized in the book of Hebrews, so we're going to go to Hebrews a little bit this evening and look at um, some passages that connect us as we're studying this. Because if you're just reading through Exodus and you're reading about the tabernacle, you might be thinking, this is excellent if I was an Israelite. This is great if I was living then. But now, what use is to me to know the details, to know the length of the, ta- the tabernacle, that it was 70 yards long, that it was a, a big, huge tent, a moving tent, uh, and how it was made and, and the use of gold throughout is, is amazing. The contributions that went into it is amazing. But God continues to tell Moses, you follow the pattern. Why? Why follow the pattern? Well, I think that's something for us as Christians to be thinking about the subject of the pattern. In the New Testament, we get a number of passages that tell us, follow the pattern. The Greek word is tupos or epitupos, which means follow the example, follow the way that it's been set out before you. And the Bible continues to tell us that. When we... um, when we obey the command to be baptized, how do we know what baptism is? There's no command that says, make sure there's plenty of water. Make sure that it's immersion and that you can't pour or you can't sprinkle. It doesn't go down through a list of how to do it and what not to do and so forth. What we see in the Bible is very clear, and it's the, the right and the perfect way to do it. You have commands to be baptized, number one. Number two, you have example of example of example of real people obeying God's command to be baptized. We know every single time how they did it. They were immersed. That pattern is important. It's important to how the New Testament church is set up. And we read passages like 2 Timothy 1 and verse 13, where Paul commands Timothy, he says, you keep the pattern of the sound words. You obey them. So blessed are those who are faithful. Blessed are those who obey God's pattern of sound words. The New Testament church today, the churches of Christ, we are known for this. Not only are we known for keeping God's Word and our belief in the Bible and being people of the book and be able to quote it and to live by it, but we're also known by keeping the pattern when it comes to how baptism was done and how worship was done and how the church was organized. Oftentimes we'll say that, you know, this was commanded and verbatim, it wasn't commanded, but it is in the sense, for instance, for, let me give you an example of this. 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2, Paul says, keep the traditions just as I have delivered them to you. Then he goes on and he gives instructions about how to do the Lord's Supper, but he doesn't tell you when or, or, or other details about that. 
but he, he leaves you to keep the traditions just as they've been delivered. Paul didn't have to go through and say, okay, make sure that you pray over the bread first, then you partake of the bread, then you pray, then you partake of the fruit of the vine. We have the example of Jesus doing it, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and in 1 Corinthians 11. So we believe in that. This is what we do. We believe in keeping that pattern. And we see our same God, our Creator, giving instructions to Israel, and there's a great message here for us tonight as we're going through and reading Exodus 25 through 31. I hope you'll pick up on this. And I, I, I intended this message tonight to help you through your readings this week as we're getting ready for Wednesday evening. We have seven chapters this week. This is what we read, Exodus 25, 8 through 9. And let them make me a sanctuary, a holy place, that I may dwell in their midst. That's what God wants. He says, I want to be in their midst. How is he going to be in their midst? He's going to tell. He's going to give instructions of that. Listen to this. Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle. Exactly. We may have discussed this before. When you look at God's instructions to Noah and how to build the ark, the question's often been brought up, what if Noah changed something about that? What if he made it a few cubits longer, said, oh, I need some more space, or made it a little bit wider? Maybe he decided to use a different type of wood or make an extra level. Would it float? I would say maybe not, probably not. He would definitely have been corrected by God. That would have been something that is evidently going to be wrong when God tells you how to do it and do it in a certain way. You follow the pattern, the example. And here you have God saying, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle. He says, do this, and of its furniture you shall make it. Israel did not miss this. They did it right. And the way they did it right is because there's a man, Bazalel, and there's another individual, um, if I can pronounce his name right, Ahalio. But these two guys are instructed and guided by the Holy Spirit as craftsmen. So God wants to be in the midst of his people, and he wants them to remember and know who he is. When God commands a pattern of how to act, the faithful want to follow it. I don't want to follow the Catholic tradition of baptism or their worship that exists today. I want to follow what God gave the first Christians in the first century when the church was established. I don't want to follow Baptist tradition or Presbyterian or any denomination. Don't get me wrong on this, but understand this. I don't want to follow Church of Christ tradition as though we're a denomination and as though our tradition is better than what God has commanded. I want to keep what God commands. I want to follow His instructions and follow that pattern. So it doesn't matter if the craftsmen, if they change something and how God told them to construct the, the tabernacle. And the answer is very clear. We just read it in chapter 25, verses 8 and 9. God says, do it exactly the way that I told you to. Don't change it. Now, knowing how God interacted with Israel, He's been very merciful up to this point. But there's going to come a time when God is not going to be so easy on them. And some will die because of their sins. And I think if they would have messed with this and altered it, God's wrath would have been just coming upon them. He has good reason for what he's, he's giving. God has good reasons for every command he gives us. And it's something for us to hold to. Israel made everything after the pattern that God gave them. Look at this, Exodus 25 and verse 40. And see that you make them after the pattern for which, 
for them which is being shown to you on the mountain. So all the furniture, the Ark of the Covenant, the lampstand, the table for the showbread, the incense, all of it, overlay it in gold, make it the way that I told you to. He tells the exact size and the cubits. You can get the detail and you can start getting a good picture of how it is to be made. Make the basin for washing the way that I told you to in the size that I told you to. Make the altar the way that I instruct you to do it and don't change any of it. So that's continually commanded here. We see how important it is for Israel to do things the way that God has instructed them to do. They overlaid it in gold. Why would they do that? Why would they overlay these things in gold? God is telling them these are so important and so vital and so significant. I want you to recognize that they're made with the best wood and with the the best material. We also see Exodus 26 and verse 30. Then you shall erect erect the tabernacle according to the plan for it that you were shown on the mountain. So notice this. It's not just the pattern. Another way to state the pattern is to say, we're not, following, we're not just following the pattern. We're, we're also, another way to say it is, we're following the plan. God gives you a plan, you do it. Maybe some of us don't, might not quite understand what it means to follow a pattern. It might be how you run a route in football, or, or it could be how you are to, you know, make clothing from a certain pattern, from a certain template. Some of those things we can connect with, and I think the phrase, the phrase to follow the pattern today might be lost on some. But what we're doing here and what we're seeing is that they are to follow the example and to follow God's instruction. I want you to look at this passage here. This is in Hebrews chapter 8, verses 5 through 7. Hebrews chapter 8, verses 5 through 7, where the pattern is again emphasized. I could have just read all of Hebrews 8 and 9 tonight because it ties in very much to what we're reading in these scriptures and i thank god for the book of hebrews because if it wasn't for the book of hebrews a lot more of the old testament to me would feel insignificant and not applicable and i'd be wondering why god in the in the completion of the scriptures do i need to to read some of these details well i want you to look right here exodus 8 verses 5 through 7 now i'm sorry hebrews 8 verses 5 through 7 Now, I also put the other passage up there from Exodus 26 that I think parallels, shows them constructing and and how they were to set up the tabernacle according to God's plan. Let's read this. They serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. This is talking about Israel. It's talking about their tabernacle, talking about their system of atonement and worship and sacrifices. He says, For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. Does that sound familiar? We're just reading that. That's what Moses was instructed to do in erecting the tent, the tabernacle. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. The point is this, the tabernacle wasn't meant to be permanent part of worship. It is a foreshadowing and a copy of something greater. As we've already mentioned, The tabernacle today of God's dwelling by His Holy Spirit is the church. We're the priest. We're part of something holy and significant. And I think when you go back and you read the details and you see God's emphasis on how things were made and how offerings were offered 
and how the priests were consecrated and the clothing that they were to wear it helps us to realize that we're a part of something very important, very significant in the church and what we do as a body of believers. Look at this passage here in Exodus chapter 29. I ask the question as I'm going through this, why, God, did you go through and do this in such detail? This is what we read in chapter 29 and following, verse 40, 43 and following. There I will meet with the people of Israel. I want you to build a tabernacle. I'm going to be with them. My presence is going to be shown among them in that cloud by the angel who's leading them in the cloud. And it shall be sanctified by my glory, by my presence, by my appearance. It says, I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate. Consecrate means to make holy, to sanctify, to set aside. He says, I will consecrate them to serve as priests. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. And they shall, this is why he wants all this done. And they shall know that I and the Lord their God. That's why. You can't forget who your God is. That was the whole purpose of this whole system, is to remember who their God is. Constant reminder to know Him. Who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them, I am the Lord their God. So God's plan for worship is for the good of His people. And it's good for us today. Constant reminder. Why is it that we partake of the altar of Christ's sacrifice every first day of the week? See the example in the Bible. We see the pattern. Constant reminder of who we are, what we believe in, what we live for. These are great things. And again, we get to see who our Creator is and study in the book of Exodus. Why these things are important. Now that we looked at the tabernacle, we're going to look at the Ark of the Covenant. <clears throat> the other name for the Ark of the Covenant is the Ark of the Testimony. And why is it called the Ark of the Testimony? What's the testimony? What is being born witness in the Ark of the Covenant? As we begin to read, we see what the purpose of you got this huge golden box. And inside of it was placed the testimony, the law. It was a witness of God's Word to Israel that God had delivered it to them and required them to obey it. Listen here, Exodus 25, 21 and 22. And you shall put the mercy seat, that's the lid, the top of it, on the top of the ark and the ark, and you shall, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. And I'd be questioning right there, what testimony? And as you begin to read, you see that God writes the testimony on the tablets and gives them to Moses. It says, There I will meet with you, and from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, you remember the construction of the Ark of the Covenant and the two cherubim, the winged angelic figures that were on top of the Ark. And then on the Ark of the Testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. And so God's commands, His instructions to Israel, go into the Ark of the Covenant it is an ark of the testimony. It is testifying of God's word, God bearing witness. Let me add a little bit for, more to that and let me show you that I'm not, um, not contriving this and coming up with it on my own. The ark of the testimony again contained the law. 
and it bore witness even against the people of Israel. Look here, Exodus 31 and verse 18. And he gave to Moses when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai after giving all these instructions how to build the Ark of the Covenant, the details, the altar, the tabernacle, everything, how to consecrate Aaron and his sons as priests. It says the two tablets of the testimony. It's pretty clear now what, what is put into the Ark of the Covenant. What makes it the Ark of the Testimony? It's the tablets of the testimony. God's witness, His command, tablets of stone, written with the finger of God. Exodus 31 and verse 18. Look here at Deuteronomy 31 and verse 26. Moses says, Take this book of the law and put it by the side of the Ark of the Covenant. This is another, this is a second copy to be at hand. Of the Lord your God, that it may be there for a witness against you. Remember, Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law. You got the tablets that's written and put in the Ark of the Covenant, and you have Deuteronomy that's also written. That it may be there for a witness. God's commandment is a witness. And you start thinking about that. How, how well do we line up with God's law? Have you kept God's law perfectly? No. We've all broken it. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You start looking at the law and you look at the instructions, especially the 10th commandment. You shall not covet. Anybody in here not coveted? You can raise your hand. That's the point. We've all sinned. We've all broken God's law. And what we, we begin to see here in the construction of the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, and I could emphasize other things tonight. But I want you to look at something else that stood out to me in the reading of Exodus. Before we conclude tonight, I want you to look at this. You have Aaron, the first priest of the tribe of Levi and his sons. We're going to be consecrated and set apart to lead this worship, to bring about peace by God's pattern. I'm using the word peace because we need peace with God. The word that's often used in the Bible is the word for atonement. It means appeasement. That is that we break God's law. We can't balance that out, but God can. How does God make us right with Him? We begin to see the burden of the judgment and guilt that Aaron, the priest, carry in their offerings and what they do in the tabernacle. All right, Exodus 28, let's read 29 through 30. I've not been keeping up. There we go. Exodus 28, 29 through 30. And so Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel and the breastpiece of judgment on his heart. So there's a little breastpiece. There are um, 12 stones that are put on this breastpiece. Uh, about the size of one's hand that went on his chest for each of the tribes. And he, it was called the breast piece of judgment. Well, judgment for what? He was bearing and holding the sins of all Israel. That's kind of a strange thing, at least representatively. And you start thinking about this. Here you have Aaron acting as the high priest, wearing a breast piece of judgment on his heart. Notice the emphasis on his heart. When he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord, and in the breast piece of judgment you shall put the Urim and the Thummim, a lot of different thoughts on what those are, and they shall be on Aaron's heart and when he goes in before the Lord. 
And this is to make the point of what Aaron is representing as he is standing before God. Thus Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. That's a heavy burden and a load. You think about that. You start thinking about it, you already see what's being foreshadowed here. So let's go on and look at Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Again and see the parallel. We should be able to put it together, specifically as Christians, that God had intended as a part of His pattern and His plan from the very beginning to foreshadow and give a, a, a copy of His plan of redemption and His plan of atonement and appeasement so that our sins are not held on us, that God's judgment, that we have peace with God's judgment. And ultimately, is fulfilled in Christ. So Hebrews 9, verse 11, let's read. When Christ appeared as the high priest of good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent. This is a greater, more perfect tent. What tent is that? The body of Christ. Not made with hands, that is not of this creation. He entered once for all, and this is his resurrected body. He entered once for all into the holy places. That is, he goes in before God, not by the means of the blood of goats and of calves, but by the means of his own blood. Because Christ offered his own blood, he is able to approach God as our high priest and bring about our appeasement, thus securing eternal redemption. There's a lot to think about there. Let's keep reading verses 13 through 14. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctified for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ? Well, that's how they were and how God commanded worship from Moses and under Aaron. Who through the eternal spirit, this is Christ, by the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God. Christ is without blemish, without sin. Purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And so the writer of Hebrews tells us again the significance and the meaning of what we can gain from studying the Old Testament is for our learning, it says in Romans chapter 14 and verse 4, Romans 15 and verse 4, 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 6 and verse 11 tells us we need to be studying the Old Testament to learn from it, to gain from it. Ask the question, did God, did He have Christ in the plan from the very beginning? I can't help but read Exodus and see God intended it. He intended it all. How can you miss it? How can you escape God's wonderful plan to save us? What did Moses and the priests sprinkle for sacrifices? Do you remember this? When they're consecrated, when they offered sacrifices, the atonement that was emphasized and the sacrifices that were emphasized in Israel is unlike any other culture in all of history. It wasn't so much the animal that was being offered. It was the blood. It was the blood of that animal that was taken and sprinkled, rubbed on the horns of the altar, sprinkled against the side of the altar. And on the day of atonement, blood was sprinkled upon the Ark of the Covenant. For what? Leviticus 17 tells us, verses 11 through 14, that we owe God our life and that blood makes atonement and makes peace because life is in the blood. We owe God our lives. And all this was symbolic for the great and ultimate sacrifice that was coming, Jesus Christ. Tonight, I encourage you as you're reflecting and thinking about your life, you want to make sure that you are faithfully 
walking in the light. 1 John 1, verse 7 and verse 9 tells us that as long as we walk in the light and confess our sins as Christians, the blood of Christ washes away all of our sins, every one of them. Now consider this as our passage of invitation tonight. Hebrews chapter 10, 19 and 22. Therefore, brothers, since you since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. We have confidence to enter in the presence of God, to go into the heavenly places that God has blessed us with and promised us. He says, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, because Christ died for us and he gave his body, we have access to eternal life, access to God's promises and his inheritance. And then we continue to read, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, that's Jesus, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. We can draw near to God. And what we read about in the book of Hebrews is that the Israelites could not draw near to God at the mountain, but we can. It says, With full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Now how are Christians sprinkled clean from an evil conscience? This is not a sprinkling of water. If you know the Old Testament, this is this reference to the blood, the sprinkling of blood. And it's very clear what the washing of water is. We've been baptized. We've put on Christ in baptism. And Hebrews uses that word for, that's oftentimes translated as washings. Hebrews 6 mentions the word baptisms. Hebrews 9 and verse 10 as well. That we now are washed. And we're cleansed by Christ. It is in the washing, it is in baptism that we contact the blood of Christ. Tonight, if you need to obey the gospel of Christ, we encourage you to do so, that you embrace the washing of water when Christ was on the cross and the pier, spear pierced his side, both water and blood came out. It is in his death that water and blood was shed. It is in his death that we're baptized. You need to obey Christ and put him on in baptism. You need prayers. We encourage you to come right now. Let's sing together.